Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Well, it is our blessing and privilege to return this morning to the great epistle written by the Apostle Peter. And we are going to read verses 3 through 5 this morning of chapter 1. Read there with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I recently received an email that read like this, I am Paul Coffey writing you in respect of my deceased client, Mr. P.A. Sergev, who died recently along with his entire family. I've been trying to locate any members of his family to assist in funds he deposited in value of $10.5 million. Your name came available in an initial search. I would like you to contact me through my private email address so that I can give you the details concerning the claim. I look forward to hearing from you soon. God bless you. Best regards. Well, you can imagine my surprise. (laughs) Who knew my ancestors were from Nigeria? And they're really rich, too. So I'm sure it's only a matter of time before millions of dollars are deposited to my banking accounts. I'm sure you have received several of these emails. The sad reality is that such emails have scammed thousands. And it is a scam. Please do not not respond. But the reason that so many get caught up in these things is because they so desire for it to be true. That maybe, somehow, somewhere, there is a lost, distant relative that has died, leaving no heirs, and you are the closest kin. And that such a financial windfall will change your life. That is why millions play the lotto on a daily basis, with the hope of striking it rich. But we know that It's not going to happen. That you have no rich uncle that is about ready to die. Ed McMahon is not coming to your house. You're not winning millions in the lotto either. I hate to bust your bubble this morning. But even if it did, what would it change? 
And you can tell me of all the wonderful philanthropic things that you would do. You could tell me of all the wonderful things and pleasures that you could have and all the travel that you could accomplish. But would it last? Would it add another year to your life? Would it solve your problems? Would it be all that you would hope it to be? Probably not. And yet that is the best that the world has to offer. A very unlikely, improbable hope. But this morning, Peter talks about a real hope. A real inheritance. That is not unlikely. That is not even improbable. But is as real as you are sitting here this day. And in fact, it is better than any earthly inheritance that anyone could have. For this is the eternal inheritance for all those that believe in him. And this morning, I want us to look at that inheritance. In fact, I want us to look at it with five points. And so we need to buckle up this morning because we're going to have to move quickly. But I want to look at the source, the means, the object, the value, and the security of our inheritance. If you didn't catch all five of those, I'll try to repeat them as we go along. But the first is the source of our inheritance. As you know, we have just dived into this letter, this wonderful epistle from Peter. And Peter greets his readers with the gospel. And we looked at that the last two weeks. And he sets their firm foundation upon the hope and trust that they can have in the God who saves. Not only just God in general, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that elects, sanctifies, and has shed his own blood for us. For our salvation. And now Peter moves into the content of his letter. And notice how he begins. He begins in doxology. He begins in praise. And in fact, his praise flows from his lips in ecstatic jubilation. Of the things that God has granted him personally and has granted the believer. In fact, he seems to write, well, at least the, the, the scribe that was probably writing this down, which most believe is Silvanus, who he mentions at the end, is, is probably writing this so frantically because he's trying to catch every word as it comes forth from Peter's lips. And we know this because verses 3 all the way down to verse 12 is one sentence in the Greek. Now it's broken up in the English, in our translation, just for it to make sense. But in the Greek, it is one continuous thought, seemingly hardly with a breath in between. Peter cannot even contain himself because he wants to allow this encouragement and hope to flow forth to those that he is writing to. And he begins that by focusing upon this inheritance. And he begins with the source of this inheritance. We see that in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we see the, the source, the giver, is God the Father. The one who is bestowing this inheritance, the one that is bequeathing this, is God the Father. 
And that may come as a surprise to many because I believe many have a wrong view of God the Father. They think of him as the angry, unsatisfied part of the Trinity. The deity in the sky that is ready to afflict vengeance and wrath on any and all. We see that this can't be further from the truth. As we saw last week, it is the Father that foreknew. And he foreknew in love. And so we looked at, very briefly, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where it says that he, that is God the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons. But he begins that phrase with, in love, he predestined us as sons. In John 3.16, we know that verse so well. It says, for God, speaking of God the Father, for God not just loved the world, but so loved the world that the love that God has cannot be contained. It cannot be quantified. It is an infinite love. And out of that love overflows the salvation of his people. It is by his authority. It is on his command that it takes place. And so, therefore, he does not do it unwillingly or reluctantly. And that is why Peter says, blessed be the God and Father. Now, if someone does something nice for you or gives you something, a proper southern response is, bless you. Or even, bless your heart. And that is not altogether wrong biblical language. Peter here is saying, bless you, God the Father. Now, I don't think he's saying, bless your heart. Nor is Peter Southern. We shouldn't get carried away here. But he is saying, bless you. Bless you, God the Father. And if we bless others for doing far less, how much more blessing, how much more praise, how much more thanksgiving should flow from us to God our Father? And think about that for a minute. That the Father is the giver. And since the Father is the giver, then you know that the gift is really good. Because God is the maker and creator of heaven and earth. I would say that's a pretty good connection, wouldn't you? In life, it's always good to have good connections. Because good connections usually equate to good benefits. Who's greater than God the Father? No one else in all of earth is as rich as God the Father. No one else is more powerful. No one else is more influential. And he's saying, he is the source. He is the giver of all good things. There is no greater connection That can be made. And therefore it's not hyperbole. When Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. For why? They shall inherit the earth. That the earth belongs to those that put their trust in God. 
Why? Because he owns all of it. And he gives it to his own. He is the owner and giver. He is the source of our inheritance. And one day, this earth will be remade into the new heavens and the new earth. And this place is where we will dwell forever. And all of it will belong to us collectively, to the bride of Christ. Well, second, then, we have the means of our inheritance. You might say, well, I think I want to be a part of this. Yes, yes, you do. Well, how? Well, well, Peter again tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The means of our inheritance is through Jesus Christ. It is the only means. It is the only way. That is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, nowhere, no how comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to gain access to this inheritance, and it is through Jesus Christ. Just as the only way to gain an earthly inheritance is if your name is written on that will of the one that leaves it. The only means of gaining the eternal inheritance is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And Peter goes on to say that it is according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. Notice that. That is the requirements. It's faith in Jesus Christ and being born again according to his great mercy. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 3, truly, truly, I say to you, one must be born again. What does that mean? Oh, it must mean that you are a son and daughter of God. Only children get an inheritance, correct? And it's only the children of God that gain the eternal inheritance. You must become a son and daughter, a child of God. And we do so through Jesus Christ, through the new birth, through regeneration, through faith and trust and belief. And the second person of the Trinity, the one made incarnate, the one that gave of his life, sacrificially gave of his life. And therefore we see the, the expense in order for us to gain the means of this inheritance. Romans 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if that is true of you this morning, then I have truly good news for you. Not fake Good news, like you would receive in those fake emails. No, I have real, true, good news for you. And it comes in the words of Romans chapter 8, where it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Now listen to this. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That is an amazing thought, an amazing reality that the son, the heir of all things, gave it up, left it all so that in him we too may gain it with him, through him, that we would be made sons, that we would be brought into the family of God, that we would be the inheritors of all the good gifts of God, that we would be made co-heirs with Christ. 
Why? Why would God do that? I don't know why. Other than what Peter says here. That it's according to his great mercy. His unfathomable mercy. That the means of the inheritance is given to us through the new birth in Jesus Christ. Well, third then, what is the object of our inheritance? What do we gain? Well, the answer to that inheritance is, is, needs to be understood in, in how the, the Jewish reader would have thought about this. How would they have read this in first century? Well, the inheritance in the Old Testament always referred to lands, the promised land. In fact, when they leave Egypt, we read of this in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall take possession of it and live in it. Tonight, when you come back for evening worship, providentially, we are in the portion of of Joshua, where they have now come into the land, they have conquered the land, and now they're beginning to divide the land. It's that portion of Joshua that you skim over in your Bible reading because you don't think it is very important or applicable to you. Well, it is because these were very agricultural people. And that land represented life. That was the means by which they were going to provide for themselves and provide for their family and provide for their offspring. And it was the only thing that they were going to be able to pass along to the next generation. That land was their inheritance. And so you can understand why it is written with painstakingly detailed. Because that was their inheritance. Now think about that context in the light of who Peter is writing to. As we saw two weeks ago, he's writing to exiles. Those that have fled the land. Those that have left the promised land as they have known it. And therefore they have fled, most likely, their inheritance. The land that belonged to them and belonged to their family for generations. And they left it all. And now they're living in a land that is not their own. Nor can they lay claim to it. And they're probably thinking, what do we have? What do we have to show? No doubt struggling with that reality. Peter's encouragement to them is saying, no, you have an inheritance. And it's greater. It's far greater than a crusty piece of land in the Middle East. He's saying to them, your inheritance is the Lord Jesus Christ. You inherit God himself. And it's interesting in, in Peter's second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1, he begins in a very similar way and he, he writes this in chapter 1. He, that is God the Father, has granted to us his very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen to that. Through the promises, you become partakers of the divine nature. Now, can I be honest with you for a moment? I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to understand 
biblical matters, but I have to admit that there are some things that are so mysterious because of their beauty, because of their profundity, that they are beyond me. And this is surely one of them, to be partakers of the divine nature. Now we know that we will not become deified, we will not become gods ourselves, that we will not become divine in any way. But I think, in part at least, what this means is that we are going to come into the family of God. That we are going to be named children of God and already all. That we bear his name, that we are marked out and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That we will be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That we will be renewed in true righteousness. We will be made heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And we will live eternally with him. And we will have the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth. All of which belongs to God and to God alone. Those are naturally his. He has right to them. But we have no right to them, nor do we have any claim or ownership of them. And yet, he shares them with us. He gives them to us in him. As Jesus says in in John chapter 14, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That somehow through Christ there is now a unity made between God and us. And so to be partakers in the divine nature, at least in part, means to be partakers in the benefits that belong to the divine nature. In other words, bestowing his inheritance upon us. Or as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, lavishing the riches of his grace upon us. The riches of his grace. In verse 5, it says that it will be the salvation that is revealed in the last times. And that is what Peter is saying to these exiles who left it all, thinking that they no longer have an inheritance, nor probably much of a future. Peter is saying to them, no, you have a great inheritance. You have a glorious future. You have Christ. And in him you have all things. And this morning I would say the same thing to you. All of you work incredibly hard. All of you are putting away money, no doubt, for savings or retirement or have done that over the years so that when you are no longer able to work anymore, you have hopefully something to to live on and hopefully something to leave for your children and your grandchildren. But let me say this morning, the greatest investment that you'll make is not what is going in your bank. It's not what is going in your 401k. The greatest investment that you can make is through your faith and your walk with Jesus, your trust in him. And therefore, let me encourage you and, and even challenge you that the greatest legacy that you will leave for your children and your grandchildren is not the size of your bank account. It is not the size of your house or of your inheritance. It's how you conduct your affairs on a daily basis. How you will conduct your affairs this day and this week. That your children would see in you a love and trust in Jesus Christ above all else. That is a godly legacy. 
That is the kind of legacy we want to leave the future generations. Because our greatest inheritance is God. It's that which we must value. It's that which we must cherish. All else is as nothing. As the hymn writer would say, it says, toys of dust. The object of our inheritance is God. It is Jesus and in him all things. Well, fourth then, we have the value of our inheritance. If our inheritance is Jesus and the future salvation through him, and that value is inestimable. Peter can only describe it by what it is not. And he does so by saying imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, he says it does not perish, it will not defile, and it will not fade. In other words, it's something like we have never seen before. It is indescribable. One commentator puts it this way. Peter informs us that our inheritance is imperishable, meaning it cannot die, be lost, be stolen, be rotted, nor ruined. It is undefiled, it is pure and pristine. It is not spoiled, used, marred, or corrupted in any way. It will not fade away. It will never diminish in vitality, value, or satisfying virtue. The delight and wonder it will inspire in us will never cease. In other words, it will only get better and better. If I can put it this way, the dividends will only be greater and greater for all of eternity. Because there is no limits to God. And therefore, there is no limits to his glory. And therefore, we will continually be amazed and full of wonder in the presence of our glorious God. The best earthly inheritance, the very best earthly joys have no such properties. They will diminish. They will fade away. They will cease to satisfy on a certain level. But this inheritance will not. Therefore, Paul, again, wanting to talk about these things yet to come, says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. And so the value is invaluable. It truly is priceless. Well, fifth and quickly then, we have the security of our inheritance. Some of you might be saying, well, this sounds great. But how do we know that it will be there in the end? How do we know that it won't run out? That it won't run dry? How do we know that it is there specifically for me? How do we know it's not like, Social security that sometimes doesn't seem so secure. Well, look at the end of verse 4 going into 5. It says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice that it is being kept in heaven. It is being secured in heaven for you. It is being, as it says here, guarded. Another translation of that word could be shielded by God's power and through 
faith. In other words, no man, no wicked powers, nor the devil himself can keep from those that which God has given through Jesus Christ. It is secure in Christ. And it is as sure as Christ is in heaven this very moment. And therefore we look to him by faith. As one commentator says, it's not only our inheritance that's kept for us, but we are kept for our inheritance, shielded and guarded until that great day. And so what we believe by faith, one day will be literally seen with our eyes. And so we have no reason to fear or think that it won't be true. No, it is true, and it is only better than what we could imagine it to be. For we shall be where he is. And he will be where we are. In the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. That is the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And therefore it is a great and glorious inheritance that awaits. My words do not do sufficiency to the unimaginable and amazing gift that is given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Athanasius wrote this. Athanasius was one of the early church fathers. He says, he is the well-beloved son, talking about Christ. Through our union with the incarnate Christ, we become well-beloved sons in the well-beloved son. He became what we are so that we may become what he is. He became what we are so that we might become what he is. Let me conclude as we prepare for the table with this story. It's a story from history. In 1848, a little girl, a five-year-old girl, was taken prisoner in in war-torn West Africa. Her parents were the king and queen of their local village, And they were brutally murdered by a warring tribe. And this little five-year-old girl was taken a prisoner of war. Well, in 1850, a British naval officer, Frederick Forbes, heard of this girl and negotiated her release. He convinced the tribal king who held her hostage, saying she would be a present from the king of the blacks to the queen of the whites to which the African king that held her agreed, handed her over to Captain Forbes. And Captain Forbes kept his word. He presented this girl, now named Sarah, to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert of England. And what is it that the queen did with this little girl? Did she reject that gift? Or even worse, did she make her a servant or a slave? No, the queen brought her into her house and made her a part of her court. Once a princess, she was made a princess again. And the queen paid for all of her educational and living expenses all of her days. All that was the queen's was now made hers. She became a daughter of the queen herself. And so Sarah Forbes Bonetta 
being named after the captain in the ship that rescued her, lived the rest of her days as a princess in England. And in return, what could she do? She named her first daughter, Victoria, after the benevolence and mercy shown to her by the queen. That is a gospel story. That is a story of redemption. Not unlike what has happened to us. As Athanasius said, he became what we are so that we may become what he is. He became a child to rescue us, to save us, to give us life. And he brought us into his house and has made us a child of God so that we in return may live as children of his. And one day, as Peter tells us here, we will gain the eternal inheritance. The eternal inheritance that is for us, for all of the saints. And so be encouraged. Rejoice this day, congregation, for truly the best is yet to come. As Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who would give us such an amazing gift and give it to us according to his great mercy. Amen.